0: so you guys just don't like my dad jokes then is, is what, what you're you're saying
1: listen be proud of your dad jokes but don't expect other people to be proud of them
0: oh, come on the mug the mugged one was really good you just gave me like that shaking of the head dude like what's up if, with that if you say so <clears throat> i'm proud i'm proud of you son thanks dad Welcome back, everyone, to a new installment, new discussion, new episode of Engage. I'm the captain. I'm Captain Chase McKinney, and joining me again, gluttons for punishment, and that would be Lieutenant Commanders Eric and David. What's up, gents? Welcome back to the party.
1: Merry Christmas, everyone! Right, this we're recording this uh, day after Christmas. The episode came out on Christmas Eve. Hope everybody had a good time. Stayed safe if they traveled. But yeah, I had a good time with my family down here in Texas.
0: Yeah, you did. Yeah, last week we were we were sitting right next to each other and I was doing like one of these little numbers and now I can't.
1: Well, it was good because I got to look straight at you. You had to kinda of turn your head.
0: Yeah. I had a little crick in my neck by the time it was all, all said and done, by the way. So thanks, Eric. Appreciate it.
2: You're welcome. Yeah.
0: How about you, David? How was Christmas for you, man?
2: Uh, very busy. It always it always is, you know. Um, with as a child of divorce, from a very young age, I knew that there were going to be multiple Christmases, and that was awesome. When I was a kid. <laughs> now, 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 no, it, it's it's good. It, I got to got to spend a little time with with my dad, and uh, I bought him a smoker because his smoker uh, took a crap on him. Uh, so that was that was nice that's like one of his prized prized possessions is his ability to smoke meat very manly and then then, uh you know saw my brothers saw the rest of the family saw my sister it was uh yeah it was a lot of running around and we had i don't know five six inches of snow uh, come through christmas eve and apparently our entire state decided you know what we're just not Hmm. Have fun with your 10 p.m. curfew, guys. <laughs> so, oh, so the orange curfew. Uh, I, I think the governor still had something in place until like January, which um, everybody is following. Wink, wink. Um, but, Yeah, no, it was, it was just a mess. And uh, I was actually supposed to go down Christmas Eve to you know see some people. And uh, on my drive down, it, it was just, it was white. It was, it was pretty terrible. So I turned back around, which made Christmas Day all that much more fun. Because <laughs> then there that's, are more stops, so. Yeah, but no, it was good. It was good that's, stuff. That's fantastic. That's fantastic.
0: Yeah, we, uh, we did the whole, uh, we, we have a tradition where we go out to East Texas and do Christmas Eve with Michelle's extended family. So we did that, and uh, there were a lot of people there, and good grief, there were a lot of people there. And um, we, we always know that it's going to be a late night because they're two hours away. Like we drive there, drive two hours one way, hang out for like, what, two or three hours maybe, and then we peace on back home, and whoo, that was that was a hike. But it, but it was fun. I mean, pretty good food. Pretty good company, you know, for the most part. It's in the woods, so there's like trees everywhere. I like how it says
2: pretty good.
0: <laughs> it's like, it well, it wasn't good.
2: excellent. It was pretty good. You know, the food was pretty good. The company was, you know, pretty good. I'm not trying to upset my family, but it was pretty good.
0: <laughs> trying to get me in trouble, man. Let's see how it is. I'm telling on no. myself, so it's fine.
2: No.
1: <laughs> I can't <laughs> wink. <laughs>
0: we found his weakness. He can't wink. Quick, David, go blink, wink. <laughs> hey, look, Eric. It looks like you're a beaver chewing on a piece of wood that you can't chew on. <laughs> Like it, That's it's an like, image right there It's like <laughs> gristle It's like you're chewing on gristle and wood as a beaver And you just can't do it <laughs> uh,
2: I'll take your word for that Thanks buddy
0: Thanks buddy Man So Yeah Chris, Christmas happened That was a thing apparently um, My daughter had Like a ton of stuff from like the grandparents And whatnot. She got this um, tent, like this, it's, it's pretty cool. I think it's kind of cool. It's, a, it's like a duffel bag of sorts that um, has like a tent, like a little kid's tent, and a sleeping bag, and it all fits in there, and uh, it's supposed to be like an overnight kind of thing, so there's enough room for the sleeping bag, the tent, and like some clothes or whatever. So I'm like, this is fantastic, because if we ever go traveling now, I don't have to buy luggage for her. Because she's already got it, so thank you. But then, nice. yeah, we we opened this. Um, she opened this thing at the grandparents' house, and it was like friggin' huge. Like I thought it was like originally. I thought it was gonna be like a keyboard or like a keyboard stand, just because of like or like a gun case or something. I don't know. I mean, it was like really, <laughs> really long.
2: <laughs> yeah, you do live in Texas, yeah. You I gotta do. Have your guns.
0: Baby, baby's first pea shooter or baby's first rifle. Yeah. Um <laughs> <laughs> so um anyways, I remember my first gun. It was pink. Mm, nice woodstock. Anyway. <laughs> so it's it's probably like I don't know how many feet long. It's probably like as long as me, maybe six, seven feet long at least. And we opened this sucker and guys, it was a forty eight piece like unicorn like set or something like that, and I'm like, oh no no no, this is like for y'all's house, right? This isn't for ours, right? It came home with us. No, it was for your house, wasn't it? Yeah, it came home with us. <laughs> <laughs> so have many. You seen, have so you many unicorns? seen that
1: like meme of like it's Ben Affleck and he's like outside smoking a cigarette <laughs> and he yeah. looks all dejected, right? Right? And so people turn that into like a Christmas name. It's like, Dad's getting ready to put together all the stuff that we got bought for Christmas. (laughs) (sighs) That's how you're feeling?
0: Yeah, a little bit. Just a little bit. It's fine. It's fine. But, yeah. So. But, um, David, I think you'll be happy to hear this. I I got a Cal Kestis action figure that is... um, it's up on my wall right now, hanging up.
2: Yeah, the the I, I don't um, I don't collect much, but some of those Black Series figures are really cool. Um, and the the Cal when that that came out, that was around the where they had um, uh, that was when they put out the first Mandalorian. Um, one and I, I can't remember what all they were but I went to three separate stores to try and find the Mando and I couldn't find it and I I, I don't know what I thought I was I, I it's like nobody in Columbus likes the Mandalorian they're not gonna buy a little action figure they did mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, yeah man I don't think they had any any Cal Kestis at the time either but yeah that's a that's a cool one yeah yeah yeah, yeah um
0: I got it. I got it. And I'm like, where am I gonna put this thing? I mean, Eric. Eric's been in this, this room where I'm in right now, and like this wall behind me, and and some, it's all Star Trek. Like, what would you say? Like maybe a third to two thirds of this of this room is Star Trek, right?
1: Yeah, it's like Star Trek, and then your your professional degrees.
0: Yeah, and yeah. Trek. Like <laughs> over there, what y'all can't see, it's like my professional. Like I gotta look smart, crap. And on one wall, I have Lord of the Rings, and then the rest of the wall, it's like all my professional certificates and stuff like that, and my academic vibe. So I'm like, where am I going to put this thing? Like, So I'm like, well, above the window sounds good. It's the only space I got. So there we go. And I got like some books down here and some Star Trek books right there, so...
2: Oh, he reads books. Oh. Yeah,
0: I'm I'm apparently smart, or at least I I pretend I'm smart. <laughs> by Degrees,
2: reading. books. Oh, look at him, look at him yeah, flex well, on you us. Know, you
0: know, it's fine. It's fine. All right, guys. Well, we uh, I think this has probably been our our fastest, our quickest, um, quick ramble ever. So, um, do y'all want to go ahead and get into this episode? Let's do it. Okay, (laughs) sound very apprehensive about that. (laughs) All right, everyone listening, um, if this is your first time listening to an Engage episode, now that we have our rambles out of the way, uh, we talk Star Trek as it's coming out brand new week to week, and uh, this week we are talking uh, Star Trek Discovery Season 3 Episode 11, formerly known as The Citadel, now known as Sukal, and... uh, And this is not a spoiler-free discussion, we are going to spoil the spoils, so uh, you've been warned. This is your red alert, please leave now, go watch it if you need to, and then come back and listen when you're done. Um, For those of you that did already watch it, we're going to get into it. So, um, this episode picks up moments after last week's episode where we're at the, what, the wake, I suppose, of uh, Filippo Giorgio in the mess hall, and... And what kind of, it's kind of innocuous, but like there's conversations going on with people just kind of pretending they're talking. And then there's, of course, um, Adira and Gray that have their own imaginary conversation. And then there's also uh, Stamets that's there kind of watching as well. So Gray just kind of shows up and just starts talking. And Stamets is whisked away because he gets a little beepy beep. Uh, from the computer, from his his Tricom badge regarding the information from the burn. So, this is probably a little bit of a nitpick, but I, I watched it a second time, and there was only... It's just one dumb little continuity thing, but I gotta pick it out. And that is the part where Grey does show up. They did a really good job of making sure that she didn't cast a shadow on Adira's uniform. But there was one part... Like probably like a five to ten second scene where her shadow was casting, and I'm like, okay, y'all did y'all did pretty good with the rest of it, but this one was just a miss, so I don't know if y'all caught that too.
1: I didn't, I listen i I hope that the point of the character gray is not just. For LGBTQIA+ representation, I hope that there's going to be some payoff to this character, because right now I honestly don't care. Like, what is the point of Gray here? I, I I don't know, and and maybe we'll get something in the next two episodes, but I'm I'm not. I find myself tuning out whenever Gray shows up, and it's just Gray and Adira talking because I don't understand the point at, at this moment in time
2: sure I mean at any other time you you see a person just speaking to thin air w- where does your mind go to they're obviously like suffering from something mentally I yeah. personally like we, we we've we haven't done a good job of explaining the whole human symbiote thing. Grey just showing up randomly doesn't make any sense and uh, it's like I don't remember the dialogue but just essentially one of those lines where I just don't know how to act or I don't know how to whatever it's like you're not even technically real in the sense of normal real so I guess you know when I saw that I'm I'm sitting there thinking there's going to be a there's going to be a in quotations payoff I just I I just hope that it's not going to be a I hope that it's not going to be the only defining characteristic of Adira is that the payoff for this whole mental thing or whatever it is or symbiote thing I I really just want her it's like just become part of the crew become an engineer do like cool ship science things or it's just going to be something where I mean what like the symbiotes being rejected like I, yeah. I still don't understand how humans are carrying this so that's that's where my mind goes it's like because this doesn't or at least traditionally we haven't seen it happen with a with a trill i mean how do you how do you define it like why can't we get any definition of anything <laughs> it just right. kills me sometimes
1: and, and, and i guess that's my point it just doesn't feel like adira and gray are a part of this story really like it's like Give me something more and connect them to this story. And don't just... I hope that it's not just these characters are there for the representation.
0: Which... Just to be there. It, it might well be that. But, you know, we'll, we'll get to it eventually. I mean, it's it's a very minor part of this episode. But I do think that we got more something more substantial with Adira much later on in this episode. Which... Is a good thing besides her just sitting there you know playing with you know conduits and other techno engineering thingies so um all right so with with this we get information that um that comes in and apparently it is a life sign that's in this nebula and we find out that um, eventually we eventually find out that it's um it's apparently the child of dr um isa i believe was her name uh from the kelpian ship and everyone's kind of not really scrambling but kind of kind of scrambling trying to figure out like hey what are we going to do what are we going to do are we going to go save them we're not going to save them and vance weighs in and um and then freaking Saru's like, yeah, I'm gonna go. Like, there's a confer- there's a conference, and like, yeah, I'm gonna go. I want to go go get the kid and bring him back. And uh, we found out that the what were what we originally thought were radiation burns and marks on Doctor Ices um, Ices Ices that's a mouthful um, <laughs> face uh, it wasn't radiation. It was her pregger marks. Lady was preggers.
1: So, this scene, when, when Saru says, hey, I'm going to go down to the, to the surface of this planet, which is made of, completely made of dilithium, right? Which is an interesting thing, I wasn't sure that dilithium could do that, but okay, <coughs> fine, we're going there. Um, Saru's like, I'm going to go down, and the Admiral's like, really? Are you sure? Like... To a certain extent, I understand why Seru should be going down because he's a Kelpian and this is a Kelpian child who's never seen a Kelpian. But, but there's that one one point where where he Seru says, "I'm gonna go down and and my number one, Encentilly, will be in charge of the ship," and Admiral Vance kind of does like the the eye, like, "Are you sure you're gonna leave this person in charge of your ship?" And yeah.
0: the most Spencer's important like, ship I in have the fleet. All,
1: every confidence in her. Yeah, it's like, do you think Admiral Vance, speaking of the leadership, the leadership delta, how you want us to rate these episodes, do you think he should have stepped in here and said, no, not happening?
0: Yes. Yes.
1: I mean, we've had, we've had, I know in the Kirk era, this wasn't a rule, but in the Picard and... Deep Space Nine and Voyager era, it was a rule. Like, the captain doesn't leave the ship. And so that should probably still be a rule in the future. And so Admiral Vance, I, 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 like I said, I understand why Saru should potentially be going down to the planet, but he should have stepped in and did something here in my mind.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they're not going by, like, current era rules are they they're they're going by their time effectively because not only are you getting your captain but you're also getting your not first officer science officer but also main character right so again I I actually think it's more for the for the plot more so than anything else I don't think it was well thought out aside from to advance a later plot point than anything else mm-hmm. so does it make sense for him to go down sure he's a kelpian i get it but does it make sense to also then take michael who i mean let's just be clear here even though sometimes we don't always like it she is clearly the first officer of the ship i mean yeah saru goes to her, she's in all these meetings yada 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 so I'm just saying she is very clearly the first officer, the actual first officer of the ship. And you know, well, hey, you're also taking your not chief medical officer too, so. Right, and and well, by then, the w- yeah, I
1: mean that was that was all in the in the TOS era. That was your away team. It was the captain, right. the first officer slash science officer, and the chief medical officer. Right, that was that was because those were our three main characters, mm-hmm. and yep. that's essentially what we have here we have the captain the not first officer science officer and the not <laughs> chief medical officer
2: <laughs> i just it, it just it just it's so corny sometimes it's like well they're not really but they are it's like when are we just going to be honest about it you know what i mean right it's like just be honest about it for once
0: yeah and, and freaking dr pollard does show up
2: we, we gave her we gave yeah, her a little an, the, a little
0: a
1: to be this shift's vet.
0: Right. Yeah. I'm just one like, So I, w- I was reading somewhere, you know, like, there's no vets in, in Starfleet, and this does take place after Enterprise, right? I mean, I'm, just, I'm not crazy, right? I mean, Phlox wasn't necessarily yes, a veteran. Flocks Phlo- wasn't necessarily a veterinarian, but he did, like, a lot of crazy stuff like with his his form of medicine and I would think if he was like the first doctor going into deep space you know like with the early Starfleet that there would have been some veterinary training mixed in so like I'm not saying that there isn't I'm not saying that at all but it just like just some of the people that I I just read like between weeks and stuff like oh there's no vets or or whatever I think it's just silly. Like, look at Flocks for kind of data.
1: Is supposed to take Spot to.
0: Take him to Crusher, I guess. Or go to the holodeck. Go to the holodeck and you know, matter up some. You know, some vet.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there's a vet program in the holodeck that they could just. Turn on and hey, Discovery has a holodeck now. Apparently, that was part of you, the you, upgrade retrofit they went through.
0: You you beat me to it. You beat me to
2: it. Okay. Oh, what upgrades? They just, didn't just get floaty nacelles?
0: But they don't have a transformer uniforms.
2: ship that they can just use whenever they want to. There's there's no yeah, new well, uniforms. Well, like,
1: like we we kind of skipped over this when we when we showed up. Like. Book is the one who takes his ship into the nebula to find this planet. And, you know, we kind of saw Book's ship do, like, a little morph just to turn around earlier. But to me, this makes no sense to me. How does a ship maintain structural integrity and life support and atmosphere if it's constantly changing configurations like this? I know, hey, it looked cool as it was flying into the nebula, but
2: Programmable matter. It's programmable I think, matter. I think that's another thing we just have to be honest with ourselves about. This isn't really about science. It's about science fiction. So it, we're not going... And and I'm sorry, but like, okay, somewhat matter. But you haven't explained it yet. Right. At least not that I can remember. Mm-mm. I mean, how a ship can just fragment, hold... I mean, what? You're not even going to talk about like a stability field or... I have a bunch of really cool magnets that'll erase all the computers or something like that, holding me together. I don't know, just like some explanation. No, we're transformers. We're, we're the Autobots, and and the Orions are the Decepticons. But that that brings up a good
0: a good point, though, because like
2: transform, roll b- out,
0: <laughs> Starfleet, roll out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: My ship's name is
0: Bumblebee.
2: We are the USS. God, you can name Bumblebee. a ship Optimus Prime. <laughs> oh goodness! No, 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 Does no, no! no. You, you can't
0: have do. A name? You, you can't do that. It has to be the USS Optimus and the USS Prime. <laughs> they have to be
2: sister ships of the same uh. class. Oh, and then you could be Power Rangers. Mighty Morphin Starfleet! And they just all create a bigger ship. It'll be there we great. Go. Hold on, listen. Let's, get, ju- get, let's, ju- let's, let's just science fiction for a minute. If everybody <laughs> can just shard out and then come back together, why can't we just have ships interconnected? You could have a super Starfleet ship. Mm-hmm. And I'm calling, if that comes around, I will stop watching the show. Yeah, i if, if,
0: if it turns. It- <laughs> So you're saying if Starfleet makes a Megazord, you're done.
2: We need dinosaur <laughs> power <laughs> now! Yeah, I'm taking my shuttlecraft and I'm going home. Okay. So. Ad- Admiral Vance, it's time to unleash our final form. The <laughs> <laughs> Sabertooth Tiger! You know, I don't know. USS Defiant! You know, it's...
0: Man, if you guys are not watching this this video edition of the podcast, you are missing out like crazy. I'm just saying. Um, wow, 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 wow. Okay, so with the in all seriousness, the with the programmable matter, and so we have Bookship and we have the Discovery, and like all the other ships, um, we're assuming have this programmable matter built into them, right? So for Bookship. I'm going to give them maybe a little bit of mercy on this one. So Book has like one person and a cat in it, right? So um, maybe it's not that big of a deal if it does like this, it's morphin' time, you know, Megazord kind of thing going on. But with, with a Starfleet vessel, if it can turn into a butterfly and then it can turn into a crane and then it can turn into a, a walrus or something... You know, space that's walrus. Space walrus. Nice. Yeah. Then, that doesn't that seem kind of problematic, with there being like one versus like hundreds of people, and like where they are at any given time in a programmable matter ship. Like, wouldn't they kind of get like all done messed it up, like get filleted, or something like with all the programmable matter like contorting into whatever. Am I, I'm overthinking this aren't I?
2: No I mean it, it technically it would make sense if you were to split into that many pieces you know I mean book ship literally fragmented I mean it was not just like one or two pieces I mean it doesn't seem like at least with Starfleet you know you have that capability on the bigger ships at least not that we've seen right? But yeah, that would that would be a little logistical nightmare. You would have to like when you when you when we say battle stations, we mean like get to a specific spot and make sure you're not like <laughs> you're not <laughs> oh I got split in half again, this darn ship. Mm-hmm. I don't think they'd be talking if they got split in half, by the way. Yes. Yeah, probably but, not.
0: <laughs> you never know. You never know. Oh. That was a fun conversation. Thank you all for listening to engage. Um
1: All right, so 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 listen. <laughs> let's stay on book. Let's stay on book here. Okay, just for a minute. Cuz one thing, like Okay. This scene, I I simultaneously like got really mad and laughed out loud at this scene that Book and Michael Burnham have right after they leave Sickbay and they're like hey, I'm going down to this this planet and this, this ship that's crashed there, but I'm worried about Saru. He's not thinking objectively, and he's letting his emotions get in the way. I literally, I laughed out loud because it was just the sheer audacity for, first, for Michael Burnham to say that, but the sheer audacity for the writers to even write something like that after everything Michael Burnham has done this season. Right. It was hilarious, but at the same time, it was just... Infuriating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Like, oh, it's yeah. like,
1: what? it was like, hey, Kettle, this is the pot. Did you know you're black? <laughs>
2: <laughs> but what you're failing to understand is that <laughs> Chase's favorite episode happened, and it's all fixed. Okay? <laughs> Why can't you understand that one episode fixes everything? <laughs> but yeah, I did think that was kind of, as kind of <laughs> a little silly. Because like Saru, really through much of it, although I I can't like agree with all of his decisions he's made command wise. He at least has held together some sense of professionalism, especially like with yeah. the Vulcans and everything. Like he made connections there. But now all of a sudden, one of his people—well, same thing with Nan. I mean, it's when you when you remeet your people, except all the people you know that would consider themselves humans, originating from Earth. We don't care about ourselves that much. But if you are an alien culture, aside from humans, and you meet your people, you are automatically just out of your mind. You lose all your your common sense. You're done.
1: Yeah, honestly, that's a good callback bringing up Nan because I. Totally forgot about that storyline, but yeah, you're right. It's it seems to be like alien cultures can't can't help themselves when they're not around their own kind. That's
0: wild. All right. Well, let's let's kind of let's move this move this along just a little bit. Um. So we we come up with a plan. We hatch a plan together, and there's some. Uh, some minor drama and stuff that happens along the way it's maybe not that important um, and we ultimately beam down to the planet
2: well I, I want to say just real quick here uh, Culber and Stamitz's little back and forth seemed I don't know what you guys thought of it but it seemed a little strange to me because like just in a vacuum it's like well you're not like acted like they were just like leaving like forever is like a, it just felt like a weird thing there. And it was
0: it was a little weird. I mean, it, kind of. But like, you got you got to remember like, Culber kind of died and was resurrected, and knowing that death is like looming, which is every single mission that everyone goes on. By the way, um, I mean it kind of made sense because maybe like the stakes are a little bit higher. But I don't know, Eric. You're about to say something.
1: Well. well. Two things, first of all. Um, You're in Starfleet, for crying out loud. Dangerous missions are par for the course. You cannot complain when one of your most senior... He's not the chief medical officer, but he's one of your most senior medical officers has to go on an away mission. Like By now, you should have accepted that fact, and don't be a crybaby about it, and don't be worried about him, because this is just what... Starfleet is okay. Yeah. So first of all, there's that. Second of all, the the point Doctor Culber makes about why he has to go on this away mission is like he was alone and he was had to to refind himself or whatever he says like that is precisely the reason why. And and if you recall back to Episode Four when we went to Trill, it's precisely the reason why he should have went with Adira down to the planet, but he basically comes in and tells Michael Burnham in what I called bait and switch in that episode. Like, you know, hey, it shouldn't be me. I know I've gone through this, but it should still be you. And, and he's now using the same reason for why it has to be him now as why it should have been him before. And it really bothered me because it would have been nice. Like, I like Dr. Colbert. I think he's a great character, and I want more of him. And I'm glad that they didn't find some way for him to get out of going on this mission.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I've, I've said it too. I, I really do like Dr. Culber, but again, it, it goes back to the same gripe, and I, and I hate to be repetitive, but it goes back to the same gripe that I've had, um, well, specifically with Detmer. You just, sometimes you have to do character-centric episodes. And if I just had a Culber... Episode, I'd be really cool with that. Because, like, you know, I know quite a bit about Stamets. And he had his moments in prior seasons. We obviously know about Michael Burnham. I, I'm, you know, Suru, we've had the experience with Surus as, well, as well. But, like, with Colbert, it's like, well, really, he, he died. And then we had his comeback episode. But, like, him now, this person that we see in season three would be a really neat person to follow around for a day. The same thing with Adira. the same thing with Detmer and even Woosakoon Wusakun or, you know, do a lower decks with Bryce and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I'm Reese. sorry. What's the other? Reese. God, I, I will remember that name one day, but like, again, make, make me care. Cause I actually do care about quite a few of these characters. I just, I just don't get how we're using them, but getting back to that specific scene just like eric said i i I, to me you know you're in starfleet you've been in this you this time for a while now his reasoning like i understand the worry that's not a that's not a big deal but the response from Colbert didn't make any sense to me really because it's like it just sounded like stuff you would have said last season and then we we made a huge point that we are over that at the beginning of this season, so that's the only reason why I brought it up.
0: Okay. Um. All right. So we're we're trying to get down to this planet, and we we have we have the away team that beams down, so to speak. Right? They transport down, and they're kind of they're they're surprised. We first see. Um, Michael in a red coat, a little Red Riding Hood, and then we see um, Culber show up in like a weird winter parka thing, and then Saru. But they're not all as they seem. Michael looks like a trill, a true trill. Culber looks like a Bajoran, and Saru is human. Did this make sense to anyone?
1: No, no, it did not.
0: And I know we get to I, Can I can I just jump out of order on this right now? Like is that is that okay with everyone?
1: Go for yeah. it. It's Your ship.
0: So we they they get down there, okay? And if if someone already knows the answer to this, that's fine. I I'm okay sounding like an idiot right now. But it just did not make sense to me, like okay, biologically they're human human kelpian. Okay, but they beam down, and they're Trill, Bajoran, human. Okay, they're all different species now, and we find out much later on that well, we're not hold on, let me back up. We find out that we're on the ship, like not the actual planet. Okay, and that Culber rightly says, you know, if we were actually on the planet, we'd probably be dying and dead right now or something like that. Um, that's cool. But we find out that there's like this hollow program going on just by us like walking around and stuff. So, how are they hollow? how How are they holographic? I mean, they're not. They are, but they aren't. And if when we get to this one scene where there's like the um, the um, historical program or whatever of Kaminar joining the Federation, the Vulcan that's saying the stuff is like. Basically, it would have been really awkward and uncomfortable, um, you know, with your with your appearance, because this is the first sentient being like, hold on, are Vulcans not sentient? Are all these other aliens not sentient? Like, why are these other aliens not going to be awkward, but seeing whoever picks them up uncomfortable? That made no sense to me. There's a lot of that stuff that made no sense. Did did y'all understand that? Make sense of that help a brother out.
1: What I'll say is this: First of all, if you've got somebody who's been alone for one hundred and fifty years, and his only his only company has been these holograms, uh, you know, I know that there's the the elder Kelpian. But don't you think seeing an actual Kelpian would have would have been beneficial for him, right? Mm-hmm. And and the other thing, Michael Burnham and Dr. Colbert, they're both humans, but they got. They couldn't appear as humans, so they had to be transformed into other alien species so it wouldn't be too much of a shock for him. But then you turn Saru into a human. Like, okay, so we have to turn the two non-humans, or the two humans into non-humans, but turn the one person that wasn't a human into a human. That's the part that really doesn't make sense to me. Like, and and I have a theory. um, Like, it's nice to see Doug Jones not in... You know his prosthetics because the guy is amazing in prosthetics. He's been in a lot of things like I mean, Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth, uh, The Shape of Water. Now here, he's he's amazing in it. But I have a theory about potentially why we might be seeing um, Doug Jones in the flesh, But yeah, you're right. It made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever.
0: I was I was trying to like think of. I, I was thinking of a lot of different holographic, um, like holodeck like, goes awry kind of episodes and and trying to, like, shape my thinking of, like, what's going on, and, like, I was trying to think, like, did they really try and, like, put their pattern into, like, a holodeck, basically? Did they try and just digitize these human beings? Like, that's what I, I was originally thinking, like, is this now a holodeck episode where everything's gone to pot? because like that, that that's just kind of how it was coming off to me as i was seeing everything take place like why would we like i get that you can like mass stuff you can hide stuff that's fine i'm not going to argue that but like what are we actually doing to the matter right of the people that are beaming down because like we know that like with beaming technology it takes the matter energizes it basically and then puts it back together whenever it reaches its its destination so if we're boom if we're if we're beaming onto A holodeck of sorts, a holographic ship or whatever we're calling this thing, was this like a roundabout? Am I making sense? Like I feel like I'm just talking in circles like it it just it's confusing and and like weird is the best way well it's just weird.
2: You have a you have a holo program that's basically a cross between MC Escher and Lovecraft you know there are tentacle monsters in the sky and stairways to nowhere so I I, I, I think they even said it when they first beamed in here or maybe I'm making this up but you know how many years of radiation would have had to have affected systems too right so I, I think for anything to make sense here would probably be you'd have to give it a pretty wide berth because you're not only dealing with radiation but the mind of of this Kelpian. You know, who his only sort of real contact has been through holograms, and unless you have, you know, mm-hmm. a, a nice doctor program that can become sentient somehow, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> apparently they haven't become sentient in here or whatever. But yeah, I mean, going back to the original thing, and I was just going to make the joke that maybe they ran out of money for the prosthesis budget. You know for this episode it's like ah yeah we, we don't have enough money to like you know to pay the person <laughs> to put the things on you so we're just gonna show you as normal it'll be great um, but yeah I mean back to Chase's point it's like if if you're dealing with a Kelpian, it would seem to stand to reason that having a Kelpian would be pretty cool I, I just think it was kind of like a throwback it's like well we haven't shown Bajorans for a while Let's give let's give uh, Colbert the nose ridges. It'll be great. Hey, I mean, spots are in. Let's give Burnham some spots. Yeah, I mean Seems we've we've, like allu-
0: we've alluded to Bajorans in this in this ep- or in this season. Uh, Bajoran exchange, Bajoran th- this, Bajoran that. Um, we did a whole episode on the, on Trill society earlier this season. So I mean, I guess we got to see what that looks like in the in this time frame.
1: I guess my question is: Have have the Federation and Starfleet made contact with the Bajorans in the timeline that Discovery originally came from, a hundred years before, you know, the Next Generation era? Because I, as far as I'm understanding, like, they haven't yet.
0: No. No. And then that's, yeah. So
1: like, how does how does how does Michael know what a Bajoran is? I mean, she, it's I, possible in her, her rumspring a year she could have met one, <laughs> right?
2: Now, her, her and Book are just reading a lot of field manuals, okay? They're learning everything, and they're just reading a lot of manuals. It's great. They learn everything. Bajoran's sweet.
0: And I've I, Eric, Eric, I've been thinking the same thing about like this whole Bajoran and Trill thing. Like, how do we know about that? Because, I mean, wasn't, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't the... The, the trill right like um that was like i think the federation um like we first had like interactions with it like in next gen era and like and then bajor like wasn't even on the map until deep space nine right
1: yes yeah, so so even if you go back to that episode people of earth where we first meet adira and they're like she's like they're like She's a trill. And they're like, a trill? What's that? Well oh apparently we looked up in the sphere data and they the sphere data is what told us who the trill were. So you can clearly see that this crew has no knowledge of the trill. So you know.
0: Hmm. Okay. There's a there's a lot that's this is like a what, a fifty five minute episode, so this is a longer episode. Um and I, for the most part, I I did enjoy the the time on the the hollow ship. I guess that was some interesting storytelling. So I'm not going to completely crap all over it. That was interesting. Um, and seeing like these different hollow programs. Like we have like a, I I think in the credits it was it was uh, credited as smiling starfleet um, hollow, or something like that. The first lady that we meet, like hitting buttons on a tree. So to speak, and uh, I thought it was interesting. Like, um, just like looking at her at her uniform, and it had like the next gen Delta on it, but then it had like on her sleeve, it had like a next gen era Delta patch. But instead of like the like the gold circle oval backing thing, it it was like a starfield or something like that. So that was an interesting callback. And I'm just wondering, like, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter me bringing this up. But you know how much. Did we like have throwback logos that we brought back into like into Starfleet, so to speak? Like, did we readopt all these old logos for our future uniforms? Anyways, that was just a dumb little observation.
1: Well, I mean, when we when we get to this this hollow that is showing the um, the day Kaminar got into the Federation, they have on a style of uniform that I didn't recognize at all. I mean, I think that was like a new style uniform.
0: Mm-hmm anyone keeping an, a tally of how many uniforms we're going to have this season?
1: It's a lot.
0: Okay. Yeah. And, and fun. I think, um, the, uh, the, the Delta that they were wearing at the Kaminar um, ceremony, um, that was a, an originally a concept for, uh, for Picard, if I'm not mistaken. So that was, that was interesting. It was one of the, the concepts for Picard's, the Picard shows era, um, Starfleet badge Delta thing so
1: <sighs> okay so so I I, I want to stay here in the, the you call it the M.C. Escher Lovecraftian world which by the way I will say looked fantastic like maybe mm. that's where they ran out of prosthesis budget because they spent all their money <laughs> on, on the look of it because it looked really cool but okay so we're, we're, you know, uh, Saru and Dr. Kolber They separate from, from uh, Michael, and they meet this Kelpian Elder, right? And so, this is this is one of the questions I have. Um, this Kelpian Elder has a beard, right? For one thing, like which to me makes no sense, but whatever. Um, I guess the point is, from everything that I understand about Kelpian society. Kelpians don't live long enough to become elders, right? They go through Vaharai and they get cold. Like I don't I don't know when they go through Vaharai, right? Saru went through it, but it was um it was, you know, brought on artificially by the sphere, the sphere. Um and um maybe they live long enough to become elders, but I didn't think that they did. And I also thought one of the things that we had learned about Kelpians is because they get cold so early that they don't really have the ability to develop history and tradition. And so he's saying this elder in all the villages passed on all this history and tradition. And and it, it kinda confused me. And maybe, you know, after, you know, the events of season two, when we went back to Kaminar and we artificially made everybody go through Vaharai in the nine hundred or so years the culture has changed probably and that's maybe what it is but if the culture has changed since then to have elders and pass on history and tradition Saru wouldn't know about that so I was really confused here
0: well to to your point Eric you know yes they don't get that old but Saru had also said at one point you know they don't get this old so like if they did have elders they were much younger looking and, and I, I don't think that escaped you by any means but you know I think that with with like the whole process that that we know that that they go through now you know with their threat ganglia like falling out and them being able to live longer or you know whatever um, I think it does stand a reason that that we are going to be seeing much older ones to the point that Saru even points that out right so D- David what are, you,
2: what are your thoughts on that man What are my thoughts? Jeez, uh, uh, I mean, we're, we're we're just kind of recreating the you know I don't want to I don't know the correct word but maybe like the lore of things as we go along. It's like flying by the seat of our pants. Um, I don't know. I don't really have any real. I don't have any real thoughts on it. It's like Elder Kelpian. Okay. Sorry, don't have much to add there. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs)
1: Okay, that's fine. It just struck me as odd because, like, if they had developed this culture after the 900 years after, Saru wouldn't have any way of knowing about any of that.
2: Yeah, I mean, again, I I guess we just have to assume that things are going to evolve and we can just write that however we want to write it. Mm -hmm. I I guess, right? Yeah. I mean, who would have really thought that the Orions would have made such a big deal 900 years later? Well, I mean, the Orions, have been my first thought.
1: the Orions were already a powerful crime syndicate, so it just makes sense in the absence of a true federation, like, you know, a force for good, that their crime syndicate would expand and get bigger.
2: Uh, yeah, but how long? I mean,. Maybe, maybe it's probably my ignorance of of some of the background, you know, lore of other time frames. But I, I mean, I don't give give me references from like DS Nine or Voyager or.
1: Well, I mean, there's I the mean, there, there's the episode where O'Brien goes undercover inside the Orion Syndicate. And we talk. I think that okay. might actually be the first episode where you even mention the Orion Syndicate. I mean, I could be wrong about that, but but it seems like it's a pretty big deal. I mean, they the Orion Syndicate is making deals with the 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 Dominion. Like, I so it, like they have to be a big enough entity.
2: Okay. Okay. I, it just seemed like an odd choice to me. Like, I, I I understand fully that they're out there, but they never, you know, through watching the shows, I never really thought about, like, yeah, that's something to worry about. But you're right. I mean, you know, the absence of Starfleet, given time, sure. And,
1: and, and then we also see in Enterprise in Season 4, there's that Augment storyline where, um, like, we, we, we delve into the Orions a little bit, how they kidnap people from the Enterprise, and we go to this giant slave market, mm-hmm. and it's like big and booming
0: well there we go all right so there's how, how do we want to talk about about this world right now because there's yeah there there's there's a lot of story that's going on um, and this is a much longer episode and i don't want to make this our episode a really long episode necessarily um, but in this, this stairway to nowhere world that we're all camping out at this, the, the citadel I believe is what um, that Kelpian refers to uh, where we first meet this weird monster thing uh, with a bone or something in the door trying to lock him out uh, we later find out that it is it's a creature from kelpian mythology essentially and that it represents uh, like fear and overcoming fear essentially whatever that fear of choice is and that the kelpian elder says that until the the child uh, overcomes his fear whatever it is he's not getting out of here and neither will y'all either so apparently everyone has to overcome their fear in order to get the heck out of there or does that or is it just Saru since he's actually biologically kelpian or am i reading too much into it maybe
1: well i mean michael burnham beamed out of there with no problems i know i mean i'm assuming How they convenient. could just they could just phaser this if, if their phasers disappear but they could just set phasers to stun phaser this guy and transport him out of there against his will, I mean, theoretically.
0: Yeah. What's But, like, what... David, you and I were talking about this. Go ahead, Eric.
1: I mean, the idea of, like, you know, this is a manifestation of your fears, and you have to overcome this before you're going to get out, is a... that's just a like a trope in literature, right? You know, overcome your fears before you move on. And, and you know, it's overused sometimes, but I don't mind it here. I, I like the idea of it being used here. Um, I don't know what the payoff is going to be, right? Um, we, right. See, we see the results of, of this person being afraid, right? We learn, like, what happens when he is afraid of this thing. So... What is, go- what is it going to take for him to overcome these fears? I'm, I'm interested in that, but, I mean, we'll see where we go from there.
0: Yeah. David, you and I were, were talking about this um, regarding another fandom, about uh, the fear of fear itself. And that's kind of, like, what I suspect is kind of going on with this kid, with the child, the, the, the baby Kelpian is that maybe the fear that this child needs to overcome is fear itself. And that's kind of weird you know, to me. I he's don't know got I, a
2: lot of got a lot of things to fear when you think yeah. about it as, you know, alone essentially, mm-hmm. realistically alone. That would be that'd be a big thing, especially to a young younger person. Um no matter what the species is, uh, yeah. I mean, I, like Eric said, it, 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 it's a common enough trope. It's fine. I, I, I can't, I can't necessarily knock it, but it just, it, 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 uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know quite where where my mind's going on that. It's just. It's fine. It's just fine. But I will say this, and maybe you guys can help me out because I, I've I've been I've been struggling to remember. So our our uh, embodiment of fear, this monster thing, it reminds me of something from somewhere else, and I can't think of what it is. Like where where are we seeing kind of like the kind of like misty monster thing from?
0: Um, did not jog
2: anybody else's memories for anything I mean, else. I
1: mean, it, it kind of looks like the Ba'ul a little bit from from the previous um, season, um, but yeah, I was I was I was actually I was reading. Sometimes I read some reviews online, and somebody mentioned that it looked kind of like one of the the alien monsters from that movie Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise and and um, Emily Blunt. I don't know if you saw that one. Oh uh, yeah, yeah.
2: I, could, I guess I could see that.
1: I mean, I can't picture those things because I saw the movie yeah. once a long time ago.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it'll eventually come to me, and you'll get a text message like, "Here it was," because for some reason it just it really it it jogged a jogged a memory bank, but it wasn't quite coming coming to fruition there. So, well, it rem-
0: you know what it reminded me of a little bit was um a Dementor from Harry Potter, like what we see in the movies at least the the how the Dementors look in Harry Potter. But it also reminded me of. The um, oh my goodness! Um, I, I don't know. I don't know the name of the creature itself, but it's in Johnny Depp's um, Sleepy Hollow movie from the nineties, and it's the the witch in the woods. Um, y'all know what I'm talking about at all? Like she, she kind of like she looks normal, and then she's like kind of hooded, but then she like walks away, and I think it's I think it's Johnny Depp's character that. Sees her and she turns around and like all these like um, bandages and stuff come out and she's just got this like creepy, creepy looking face to it. And um, anyways, it reminded me of Dementors and that particular character. I'll I'll figure out the name in a second.
1: Yeah, I guess I've seen that Sleepy Hollow movie, but not for a long time, so I have no recollection of that event.
0: <laughs> well, it, I mean, Halloween wasn't too long ago, you know, and I would never seen it. And I'm like, hey, let's watch a Halloween movie, and show enough we did and um, this is going to drive me nuts anyways keep talking I'll I'll find it
1: okay okay so do we want to finish out our discussion here in in this this hollow ship and get to like the big I guess important part of this episode or do we want to like save that to the end and go back up to everything that's happening on the discovery
2: I don't know we normally follow storylines don't we <laughs> normally just kind of run a storyline and then beat back to story b or a or whatever we okay, can do i, was I mean just,
1: i was just curious because this if, if we stick down here in this we're getting we're getting to the crux of this season
2: chase what, what do you think man what what's what's a decision let's need just, a command <laughs>
0: <laughs> well you know we need leadership <laughs> Delta <laughs> um, Where is it? Uh, let's let's just let's just go ahead and just stick with like the, the storyline, like the through line. Okay.
1: Okay, so uh, I asked several weeks ago, like, when do we think we'll learn the cause of the burn, right? Mm-hmm. Like at what episode? And and we all kind of looked through the episode titles and, and I looked at this episode, I said the Citadel. That seems like an interesting episode where we were probably going to learn some information. I don't know why I was drawn to that one. And now this episode is not called The Citadel. They changed its name like a week ago to Sukal. But we learn the cause of the burn in this episode. Our season-long, 100-year-long mystery. You know, what caused the burn? And we all had our theories. Like... Was the burn? Is it short for Michael Burnham? Did she somehow cause it? Right? Did the discovery or the Red Angel suit going through the wormhole cause it? Was it something you know nefarious? Did somebody you know right. want to cause this? Did Did someone have an experiment that failed? As As like the Vulcans thought their <sighs> SB-19 was an experiment that caused this. Uh, um. Was it the Omega Particle people were trying to relate it to that that really fantastic Voyager episode? Or, you know, was it some kind of natural disaster? But it was none, of, and, and we all had our speculations. And it turns out, every single person out there was wrong. Because if you had guessed this, if you say you guessed this, you're a damn liar. Because I guarantee <laughs> you, no one yeah. came up with emotional... Child, you know, has a temper tantrum and destroys the universe. Basically.
2: Mm-hmm. Now hel- I got hel- guys. Please help me understand. Like, it it went, it flew clear over my head. Please help me understand this.
1: So, from the explanation that I've got is being born inside this nebula, right? You know, the the mother was exposed to radiation. You know while the baby was in utero and living on this dilithium planet somehow changed his biology which is why he's allowed to survive all this radiation and somehow biologically he was changed and when he gets upset or scared he sends out some shockwave thing Mm -hmm. right? I don't know and that because you know he was living on this dilithium planet somehow this shockwave allows him to disrupt dilithium but it doesn't disrupt any of the dilithium on the planet that he's living on. I don't know maybe it has something to do with the fact that it is dilithium in the warp core specifically right. that's done something to it. So I'm really strange on this but yeah that's like that's what I understand from it.
2: Cue the X-Men music. I I I I don't I don't understand how creative minds and, and, and I'm sorry if I'm if I'm just gonna just straight up crap on this I don't understand how creative minds who are involved in this universe can sit there and tell me that a child born in a nebula on a, or like around a dilithium planet is somehow going to completely obliterate the use of delithium in an entire flipping universe like you're, you're, you're gonna <laughs> You're gonna tell me, as a writer, that you can't come up with something even a little bit better than that, mm-hmm.
1: David. Like it, David,
2: it, it felt like it insulted my intelligence.
1: They wanted something that you would never guess was the cause. Like, <sighs> like this, you would never guess this. If you said this is what you came up with, you're a damn liar. I, you're
2: right. <laughs> no, you're right. I would have never guessed it, but it, it feel, and maybe I'm just being far too sensitive about it. Because I'm a sensitive man, but I'm just saying it feels like it's insulting my intelligence level. Like I, 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 I just I don't I don't get it.
1: Yeah, I know I I believe, I believe <laughs> I a couple it. I believe a couple weeks ago you said I don't think we're gonna get a satisfying conclusion or a satisfying answer to what caused the burn, and um, you were right because like to me I I don't get this at all. Like I understand the idea of like emotional child whether it's like like an actual child or like somebody who's older that is emotionally younger you know is in distress and causes problems I mean Star Trek has done that plenty of times you know um, it, like Charlie X the Squire of Gothos uh, there's the episode with the Q's child in, sure. in Voyager um, there's that great episode of the Twilight Zone um, with Bill, Bill Moomy right who played, and later played Will Robinson. Uh it's uh, it's a good life where he's a child and he basically holds the entire town hostage because of his his mental powers. So this is something that that science fiction is known for. It, it it's a trope. But man, it's a it's a it's a it's a two thumbs down for me on on this. Like I said, like there's got to be something else you could have come up with than than well- this.
2: Well, but you, you could—you still could have used this plot point. But to me, just to have an out-of-control child, like I still—I'm not a writer. Even if I were to write something, it probably wouldn't be all that good. I'm fully okay with admitting that. And I—I I couldn't do what these people do. I don't know. Maybe I could. <laughs> I don't know. It's probably possible. not, though. But I mean, put put like some. Oh, well, no, I'm not going to say that. I don't want to irritate any of you, but not the not the people listening, just these two. You guys I'm I'm perfectly cool with annoying. But no, I mean just just like somebody <laughs> using the kid. Like if it were something like, you know, like an Oz moment, like there's somebody behind the curtain. Because you're effectively telling me that the biggest thing in this universe that has happened is going to be explained away in one episode? Mm-hmm. Like we have what two two more left, right? Yeah, two episodes yeah,
1: left. I, I mean, maybe maybe there is something more to it. Maybe somebody did an experiment to him. Maybe there's there's somebody else out there. But it seems like with only two episodes left, right? It, there's not a lot of time to to go in and explain and delve into that fully.
0: So okay, so let me let me pause real quick. So that the the creature I was I was thinking of that I couldn't name earlier, it's called the Crone from Sleepy Hollow, by the way. So look up the Crone if you really want to. Um, Second is, now this is probably a very, a more traditional Star Trek way of like maybe looking at this child and the burn, but because there were unusual circumstances related to the pregnancy and the birth and the whatever, the radiation and everything, I'm wondering if there's a connection that this Kelpian has with the nebula itself, where because things are so, um, are in like dire straits, like emotionally, mentally physically, perhaps, that maybe that's manifesting in the nebula itself, and whenever there are these more um, explosive moments that this character has, that that's intensifying the nebula, and it's it's manifesting more of this burn stuff that we're talking about. Now, that's probably a more exploratory kind of thing, but the, I, I want to also kind of segue into this a little bit. I'm not, I don't want to take away completely, but... The thing that I'm noticing, as like maybe a theme for this season, and we'll we'll see, you know, in the next two episodes of this if this pans out, but it's it's this theme of letting go, like that's really what I'm picking up on is this theme of letting go, and we're seeing it with we've seen it with Nan to an extent, like she's leaving Star Starfleet behind unless she comes back and she decides to leave her people behind. Okay, um, Michael Burnham in her one year sojourn. You know, and and leaving things behind, letting go. Um, Saru and now Culber are down on this hollow ship, doing whatever they're doing. And are we going to leave them behind? I know I'm jumping ahead, but what does what does letting go and leaving things behind mean? And I say all that to c- come, bring it back to the child, to bring it back to this Kelpian child does the child need to let go of something or does Saru need to let go of this person by like having them die or something um, so that the rest of the, of the fleet, so that the rest of, you know, the universe supposedly can be safe and continue to move on. Um, That, those are just some of the thoughts I've been having, like regarding the kid, the theme of the season and kind of maybe where we're going next. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, I think there's there might be might be something there because if you look at the episode titles, the season finale is called "Outside." That's the that's the name of that episode, and we see here in this for episode, now. well, yeah, for now, like, um, but I, that actually makes sense as a title because you hear him talk about, "Hey, we're inside the ship, and and you people are from outside, and I've never I've never met anybody from outside. I expect outside doesn't even exist anymore." So like, at some point, this Su'Kal, this Kelpian child, is going to have to leave this hollow ship, right, or somewhere. And he's have to gonna yeah. have to go outside. Yeah. So, so, you know, he's gonna have to overcome his his fear monster, Dementor, whatever you called it when you looked it up. I crone, forgot. the Crone, the Crone, right? So he's gonna have to overcome that and and leave outside and and. Presumably, something big and important is going to happen when he goes outside.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know, y'all. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <sighs> All right. Um. One, there was there was one particular shot. That I really liked. I just want I just want to like give this shot this one shot some credit. uh, That's down there on on the ship, and that's the shot of Culber looking up at Human Saru, and sees the radiation on his face, and they try and um, get in touch with Discovery, um, say hey if y'all are listening, hurry up, we need you, and then they just step out on this platform, walk a few paces, and stop. I don't know why i was so captivated by that shot but i just thought it was like shot so stinking well and then like all the cgi that was done um like all around that i, I love that shot that's my favorite shot of the entire episode um and just how um, just how wilson cruz just really delivered that that entire scene that he did or that that entire line that shot whatever i just thought it was really good so i want to give credit where credit's due no, um, this I, I think part, Wilson Cruz
1: is, is fantastic, and, and he, I think he's oh, yeah. he's getting better as this show goes along. And, and, and I give credit where credit is due. This entire inside of this ship, hollow ship, this environment looked fantastic. And, and you know, when they yeah. step out on there and it, the camera pans around to the outside and you see these, like, floating bridge beams that like and then they're like moving it in the, the whole the citadel sanctuary whatever you want to call it it looked fantastic
0: yeah it did remind i will say that it did remind me like I was about to go into a boss fight in a final <laughs> fantasy game uh for any of my video gamers out there <laughs> um it had like that otherworldly boss fight kind of feel to it so it, it was cool I liked it what a weeb
2: <laughs> <laughs> just just call me a weeb Eric, does he does he have like a body pillow in that office too? Final Fantasy, <laughs> honestly. I mean, there's uh, nothing wrong with is. Final Fantasy. I just gotta, I just gotta rag on a little bit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, y'all. Well, let's let's keep on trucking. Let's keep on trucking. Um. So at this point, I believe like we we are going back and like we're really going back and forth, with the, in the grand scheme of things, between that ship and Discovery. Um, but Tilly's, you know, she had a pep talk from Michael earlier before she beamed down, and um, and Tilly is now being tested, and I'll give her some credit. She actually had she actually presented herself pretty well, um, at first. At the end. Not so much. I'm just gonna. I'm just. That's my opinion. If y'all don't like it, that's tough crackers, I guess.
2: Okay. Okay. Can, can I ask a question here? Yes. So, if you are confronted with an enemy, mm-hmm. and presumably you know you you have your alert system, right? At what point do you actually become combat ready in the ship? I mean, I mean, like grab some phasers, mm-hmm. or like actually be prepared for potential battle.
0: What what part are you talking about, David? Just like period, or, oh, or what?
2: Oh, well, I, I, I'm I'm talking about when the ship is overrun by people beaming in.
0: Oh, that part. And Nobody's
2: yeah. ready for it.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, the like red. Al- if, I mean, she did call. Alert, she did call red alert.
1: Red alert doesn't just mean get to your stations. Like you should have you should have weapons. Like at the ready um, inside the ship as well like easily accessible
0: now let me let it, me cla- it, it, let it me
2: seem like a little nitpick moment like we weren't ready for combat in this show but it seemed like an obvious thing that should happen
0: mhm now let, yeah. let me let me clara- let me clarify something like she did I thought she did a good job in the beginning like steering her down the end though not so much like to your point david that's what I'm getting at. Like she didn't do a good job with that part with like, oh crap, like we have freaking tendrils wrapping around the ship. Or whatever those things were.
2: Well, I, I mean, uh, okay. So let, let me also then get get a, get an opinion about this. And, and I, I'm just, this is more of a debate in leadership style. Sarcasm very often times is not the mark of good leadership and honestly at times it's the mark of low wit no offense i am sarcastic i'm stupid but <laughs> i'm just saying that in general just being sarcastic is usually a cover for some sort of ineptitude or weakness or you know just a means of having fun but if you're in a pressure situation and and what i viewed was just trading barbs if you're Captain Kirk... Well, Captain Kirk's also prepared, generally speaking. Um, I don't know. It's like... I actually thought that the dialogue was a little... Eh? And I will agree at the very early onset when she takes the bridge... And the and the threat was presented initially. I thought that that was appropriate. Like, I, I thought she showed some stuff there. But once you get, like, the final hail... That... That didn't really jive with me very well. And then, not to spoil it, but they were taken. Like with zero, with really zero resistance. And I understand yeah, I, this. You know, we keep joking about it being a science vessel. Millions of scientific functions per second. But every maybe single, get a few every, people to know how to get a phaser out of a locker and use it.
0: Every single one of those folks at this point in, in, Star, in Star Trek history, Starfleet Star the Federation, all that stuff, every single one of them should have been graduates from some kind of commissioning program, whether it was like, you know, Starfleet Academy, or it was this cadet, you know, training program thing that that Tilly did. There should have been some kind of commissioning route where they were exposed to, you know, all the stuff that makes you a Starfleet officer. And that includes combat. That includes doing some some, some... You know karate, some punching, some some palm heels, Kirk chop, yeah,
2: Kirk throw. <laughs> I mean there should have been double a- <laughs> chop, kick, 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 chop. And sometimes
1: he does like the leaping two foot jump.
2: Me <laughs> smashed abdomen, yeah. <laughs> double axe handle overhead smash. That, that or or to the. You, you, you can you can you can put it to the abdomen and then you smash it over their back. That's a popular one. Mm-hmm. I don't know where they learn to fight. <laughs> Starfleet
0: Academy. Starfleet do Academy.
2: Ever, do we ever just see like a straight closed fist punch? It's always like abdomen, axe handle smash, or it's or chopped a neck. It's Vulcan it's a, nerve pinch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cling that's right. Klingon palm like, heel strike.
1: Palm. <laughs> yeah. So so listen. Um, I have I have a lot of I have a lot of um things to say about Ensign Tilly in command of this ship. First of all, David, you brought it up when uh, Tilly was named the first officer, and we all kind of derided the decision. And you said, "Look at all the other first officers that we've seen in our Star Trek shows: Spock, Will Riker." Uh, Kira, Major Kira, um, Chakotay, T'Pol. Um, you even went to like Ransom in lower decks, and then Michael Burnham, right? And you said, "Would you trust these people with your lives?" And for the most part, we said, "Yes, I would trust those people with with our lives." And then you said, "Would you trust Tilly with your life?" And we all said, "No." Like you are by making Tilly the first officer you are literally putting people's lives in danger and that is exactly what happened here okay there's the scene when when Saru Burnham and, and Colber leave the ship and she goes to sit down in the captain's chair and everybody around the bridge i mean we do like a full like montage of every bridge officer looking at her and smiling like yes Good for you, Tilly. We're glad you're in that spot. Which makes no damn sense to me whatsoever, okay? And then, when when we first have the back and forth with Osira here, you know, antagonizing someone who already wants to, to fight you is probably not the best strategy, right? But then after, like, that first click-off, we see another montage of people around the bridge, like having these smog looks on their face, like, Yeah! Go! You do her! You give that to her, Tilly! And I'm like, No! No! So we have, like, two montages like that, of all these faces of people, like, looking at, like, how good Tilly is. And, Chase, you said, you know, you think she did a good job, and I feel like... Imagine Will Riker in that situation. Like, imagine the difference of Will Riker Versus Tilly in that situation. If Will Riker was in that captain's chair, I believe we would have gotten out of this with no issues. Okay, I honestly do. And and I think how far have we fallen that just adequate is now being viewed as doing a good job?
0: Dang, I feel personally attacked right now.
1: No, I. But it's it's just I'm not. It's just like, okay, she did she did fine. <laughs> She didn't do great, but we're we're all sitting here trying to applaud how great of a job Tilly did. And okay, she so, figured out she figured out that it was Osiris and she was masking her systems. And she said, "Hey, go to red alert." But okay, the ship went to red alert. All right, but no one no one tried to arm themselves on the ship. Okay, we have seen this ship be boarded before. Right when we went back to Earth, mm-hmm. those that mm-hmm. Earth Defense Force beamed through our shields and everyone was surprised, you would think we would be on the ready for th- Now, I know, like, it's a Star Trek thing that you cannot beam through shields. But I understand that in that instance, when we went back to Earth, they could beam through our shields because they're using technology that's 900 years more advanced than us. But presumably, during this refit that we got at the Federation, we upgraded our shields. So, first of all, I don't think that they should have been able to beam through the shields i I don't understand how they were able to do that but no one put up any fight here when when Mm -hmm. we were being boarded it's like you put up it happened so easily they just took over the ship and also there's one point where tilly finally says we need to get out of here yes we will come back for the people on the planet but we need to get out of here and she tells stamets get in the spore right. the spore cube. But don't you right. think that when you say red alert all hands to battle stations, don't you think that your navigator getting in the spore hub should be part of that red alert and we should be ready to jump out. So he should have already been in there and they should but have they, been able to jump away right when she's right when she needed to.
0: But that's the thing, that's the thing Eric. They even said that the spore drive wasn't even going to be functional for another half an hour. No, they said so the even if shields it, it, it,
1: weren't going to be at full power for another half I, hour.
0: I heard the spore drive.
1: I heard or it they, was they, they, they weren't they, they weren't going to be rated. out of the nebula to to recharge the shields, and when the shields were back, that was when they were going to jump back into the nebula.
0: Okay, maybe I just misinterpreted that wrong because, like, whenever the, um, I heard that, it was my impression that they couldn't jump, do any jumps for at least a half an hour. But, but here, okay, let, let's let's address the Tilly thing for a second, okay? So when I'm I'm not caving in to either one of y'all when I say this, okay, but like whenever whenever they got boarded and even like, not even just not even that third hail, but like that second hail, right? Whenever she comes back, like there, there were like three hails, right? There was the first one where she I went Freudian were like three. there was the second one and then there was the third one just before boarding. okay. So the, th- the second and third hail, it was just one of those like, self-fulfilling prophecy kind of things like, yeah, like, we saw this coming a mile away type of thing. Like, bad stuff is happening because she's number one, because she's in the center seat. Now, I will say that, like, the first two hails, and I know we're, like, probably splitting hairs on this, but, like, whenever she was, like, actually... That sounds bad. When she was actually thinking, okay, about, like, the situation at hand, and, like... Scanning around stuff and you know saying like one crisis at a time, I like that, and you know honestly like the the fact that she was like kind of assassin Osira, I was digging that. I, I like the whole f- like Freudian spat uh, that she had, but after that, not so much. The second and the third one was downhill real quick for me, and then like how it manifested with the ship being overtaken. From what we saw in the final moments, I wasn't cool with that. Okay, now it was mediocre, but but when I say she did a good job, I thought she did a good job in like that, in like assessing the scene and then kind of like going out of spat. Because like let's let's think about it. Like how many how many CEOs, how many number ones have actually sassed people? Like I, I know I know Riker has done some sassing before whenever he's been on the view screen with someone. So it, it's maybe she's, she's an ensign for crying out loud. So for one, she's still trying to figure out her own command style. Okay. And part of that might be lighthearted and that's okay. I'll give her that. Okay. I'm going to give her leeway room on that. Okay. So if she wants to sass people and she finds out it doesn't work, which she might, then maybe she won't do that. But the fact that she was trying with that and bringing up things and just even going air quotes, toe to toe with Osiris, I thought was good. Okay, but second yeah. and third hail, not so much.
2: Yeah, and, and I mean, like I said in in the beginning, like the assessing of the situation, I in the beginning, I don't really have an issue with that. I thought that was reasonably fine, and I, and I do wanna I do wanna say the reactions of the crew, I think, are just indicative of just a poorly ran ship in general, not necessarily a reflection of Tilly, because if you do call red alert. That sh- those things should be done already so I just think that it's just a poorly ran crew in general that they should know this stuff until he's not going to be able to like necessarily like okay so what red alert means guys is that you get to your actual battle stations and you know pick up the phasers like maybe guard the halls, sensitive areas okay uh, you know, Stamets, make sure you're in the actual pod, like, with hands on, in the goo, okay? So, so that, to me, I don't want to, I don't want to, like, attribute to that, but... And you're not necessarily wrong that you have sarcasm coming from other officers in general, Wide view officers. My issue isn't necessarily that, you know, you use sarcasm... My issue is is that you're using sarcasm to mask an ineptitude of the position
0: which she knows she knows that she has. She was okay, already leery of, of taking it a couple episodes back when Saru even then asked then her. Then don't
1: take then don't take the position. Like, yeah, see, like she yeah, has yeah, see, the ability see, to right. say I'm not ready for this position. I know that in a critical situation I might not be the best person for this job, so I'm going
2: to say no. I mean, a mark of leadership is having the ability to ask for help when you don't have it. Because even like, um, I think it was season one of Next Gen, there was an episode where Jordy, uh takes the takes the bridge when all the crew is down. I don't remember that specific episode. I just remember yeah. Jordy being in charge, and he splits the ship so we get to see the, mm-hmm. ooh, it has a saucer section and a bottom weird-looking section. Um And even with him, like he was chal he in that episode, it's different because he was specifically challenged by other officers who might have had more seniority over him. Mm -hmm. But he was able to step up. But that doesn't mean that he didn't take suggestion or he didn't necessarily look for the the experience to help aid him. His thing was, I am taking command of this situation because I was put in command. Let's work together to make this happen. But in Tilly's case, it's like. Unfortunately, it goes back to the point you are antagonizing someone who is deadly serious and it felt like you are underestimating this person who is dangerous. And I don't care that you were able to like sort of semi win a little battle with her, you know, I don't know, a few days or a whole year ago. I don't understand time right now. Time (laughs) doesn't make any sense here in this universe, but whatever. So the thing is, is like you're dealing with a very dangerous enemy. And perhaps you have to, and kind of, I get it. I get it, Chase. I totally get it. She's trying to figure herself out, but going sassy against this person who wants to kill you, I, I, I don't know. I don't know that that's necessarily, but again, you know, I guess you got to learn somehow, just maybe not at, mean, the, not at the cost of other people's lives.
1: Not at the cost of the, your, your adversary. Think about who your adversary is. She is the leader of a galactic crime syndicate that essentially at this point is rivaling the Federation in terms of power, influence, and control. You know, maybe this is someone you should take seriously. And, and you know, her, her first appearance a couple of weeks ago, I felt was kind of comic book villainy. Right, and I didn't really take her all that seriously, but I actually think like Osira here is is intimidating and is an intimidating presence in this episode, and and you know, she she is kind of a big deal. So yeah, antagonizing her, and I get I get I also say like Riker has been antagonistic and given some sass before, definitely, but like know your opponent.
2: Oh, you, you know what. I just want to say one more quick thing. Sorry, sorry to trot over you again, Chase. I mean, it is one of my favorite things to do on a Saturday morning. It
0: really is, actually.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, the the more the more I think about it, maybe this is actually a really good thing. Maybe I don't actually think that this is true, but maybe this this could be the writers understanding her actual level of maturity here. And kind of showcasing that in a way that would actually be realistic. You know what? This is actually a very realistic scene. Now that I think about it, like, you know, again, an ensign who hasn't fully went through all the command stuff being thrown in the number one position in the ship. Actually, you know what? I actually think this is actually really good because it showcases exactly why you shouldn't do that.
0: I can't tell if you're being serious right now.
2: No, I actually am. I'm being 100% okay. serious. I, act, I I actually really do think it's it is a good representation, like a real world representation, of how this would actually go. It's like at first, you're relying kind of on the the structure of things, the book learning, and it, it works. Okay, she she okay she knows. Eh, go go the cloak, you know, assessing the situation. But then when the real hard stuff happens, you're kind of testing the waters with the only thing that you know at that point, and you wind up losing the ship. Which I'll be honest with you, Eric. One, one little thing: this ship was going to be lost no matter who is in that chair, because I think it's the illusion to what we're dealing with eventually. So I think even if Will Riker is there, we're going to write it in that that ship would be completely lost. Oh, it's, oh, it's oh going sure. Down. I
1: think I think I I agree with that. But uh, but it, if Will Riker was in that chair and the ship got lost, I would say B.S.
2: I get you. But no, I actually, I actually think this is it, it is actually a very good allegory to real world how this would actually happen. So to that, in in again, not sarcastic, we I already said I'm an idiot earlier, but completely unsarcastically, I actually think it, I actually think it's very real world applicable.
1: Yeah, and, yeah. and, I, and I, even going along with that, I think there's one scene when when she calls Black Alert and nothing happens. There's a scene like right on her face where she is terrified and I, and I think you can you can you really see I think Mary Wiseman does a good job in that moment and like yeah. Tilly is terrified because I think she realizes she's in way over her head
2: yeah she she has like pretty good uh, facial acting mm-hmm. in some of those scenes like thinking back on it and I had it popped up here on my other screen as well just so that I could you know kind of stumble through certain things that I didn't remember but like even even when she's being batted back at she does a pretty good job of like maneuvering her face and and making a lot of those emotions come forward so I I do have to give the the, the actor credit for that because that actually again you know what I actually am liking this episode a bit more now that we're talking about it (laughs) I've worked through some issues and I'm actually liking it a little bit better this is nice
0: (laughs) I'm happy for you I'm happy for you um, okay, so ship gets boarded, and that's that's fine. We had like a—it's not fine, by the way—but we have we have a explosion that happened down down on the ship, down on the planet area land, and this is just a really quick little thing. I don't think there's much else to talk about. But Adira, she tech, technologically engineers a thing to go do a thing to kind of help the folks that are going to be stuck down there. But she's like, I need this Tricom badge to be able to do it. Takes some medicine, hops on down there. There you go. And at the same time, uh, Burnham beams away, gets on book ship. And it's just a really quick thing that all just happens. And finding out, oh crap, Discovery went bye-bye.
2: Yeah, and there, and there actually, Michael goes defying orders again.
1: Yeah, yeah, there Michael goes to this is this is totally going to be Michael Burnham saves the day in the last two episodes, right? Of course. I mean, that's what's happening, isn't it?
0: How far do someone? I I really don't know. Okay, like how far away are we from um the star the Starfleet um car wash at this point?
1: <laughs> I have no idea, but Osiris got there because of some. What I'm assuming is, like, a Borg transwarp conduit.
0: Right. When they when they said, um, oh, um, what was the, crap, what was that, um, they, they scanned, they, so they scanned the ship, right, and they said that the the, the blank was off the, the charts. The, neut-
1: the neutrino emissions.
0: Yeah. And that, like, automatically took me to the scimitar. Automatically took me to the scimitar with, um... With a Shenzon ship, yeah, yeah, Shenzon ship in um, in Nemesis, and like it kind of has like the same kind of look to it too. But we've already we've talked the Osiris stuff to death. But my my point is like they they spore jumped slash did some kind of trans warp something or another to go to wherever they're gonna go in the next episode. Which if you look at the previews, you kind of have an idea where they're going. And uh, anyway, I'm just wondering, like, how far are they away? Because they have, like, Book's little boomerang-looking ship, and I have no idea how long it's going to take them to get there. And I'm like,
1: assuming they're just going to get in that transwarp conduit. I mean, I don't know how else they would get back there quickly. Yeah. Okay, we'll see. wait, but, but before we get into the ratings, I, I do want to talk about, about one thing here. Um
0: okay.
1: and that's the the saru of it all. So so <laughs> earlier. Sounds like, a, season, like it sounds like a sitcom. The saru of it all. The saru of it all. <laughs> mm-hmm. So so earlier in the season in, in episode two, I, I mean I think David might have missed that recap episode, it might have just been Chase and I, where the discovery gets to the future and and I actually was I uh, really liking Saru in that episode and I and I said this is a guy who's he's evolving, his leadership is getting better, he's showing he's not a commander, he's not a first officer anymore, he's a captain, and, and then he became the captain, and I think in those first couple of episodes, I was really liking Saru, and I thought he was doing a good job, and, you know, growing into his role, and and David kind of pushed back on this and said, this guy is not making very good decisions. And, and over the past five or six weeks, I've come to agree with David. I think Saru is really failing as a captain and failing in his leadership and making a lot of poor, poor choices. And when we first learned, like, how many weeks ago did we learn that this was a Kelpian ship in this nebula? It feels like forever ago. It took us forever from when we learned that to when we actually got to the nebula. I think, like, Three episode episodes where we didn't like, even move.
0: Yeah, so last week was part two, before that was part one.
1: I think we I might think... have found out at the beginning of the uh, the Sanctuary episode.
0: That sounds right.
1: But basically three whole episodes where we didn't even, like, we knew what this, what this where this was, but we didn't even go there. Like, that shouldn't have taken that long. But anyway, I, I asked on that episode, I said, do we think that Saru is going to make a poor decision, another poor decision, because this is a Kelpian and he's going to become emotional. And I think the answer that we just learned is yes. And, and, I, and we clearly see Michael Burnham again has the audacity at the end of this episode to say, Saru, you can't go back to the ship. Even though you're the captain, you're way too emotional and you have to stay here. And he's like, okay, I agree with you. It'd be like, bitch, you are one to talk. But anyway, like we, we see Saru making all of these really poor decisions, and we see him deciding to stay here with this Kelpian instead of going back to his ship, which is which he never should have left in the first place as far as I'm concerned. but in addition to that, we are now seeing Doug Jones without his his makeup and his prosthetic on and 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 in the last episode, right before Georgiou stepped through the, the Stargate, right um, <laughs> Yeah. We, we. She said, there's more than one captain on that ship. Like, yeah. and basically, like, you can be a captain, too. And we've all been like, uh, no. No, 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 Michael Burnham cannot be the captain of this ship. And, and I go back to this Ready Room episode where Soneka Martin-Green was on, and, and Will Wheaton even said the same thing. He's like, we see all these leadership skills developing in Michael Burnham, and she's well on her way to being a captain herself. And, like... Did Will Wheaton say that himself or was that written for him to say? I'm kind of wondering like did someone tell him to say that? And so I don't know. I, I know that season 4 has been ordered. I don't know if we're in production yet. We are. But but is Doug Jones a part of the cast? Cuz I'm thi- like everything we're seeing, are we seeing here like like the downfall of Saru and and this is leading to something where where like we're finally seeing Doug Jones, the person. Are we leading to this big thing of, of Saru, like, dying or potentially leaving leaving the ship? And, and are they setting us up for this by all of his poor choices? And are they setting us up, Michael Burnham, to save the day? Because I think we all even agreed last week that at the end of this season, Michael Burnham will be the first officer again. Well are they setting us up for her to be the captain again and for Saru to not be there? I, that's just something that I immediately thought of when I was watching this episode. And I don't know if that's something that crossed your guys' mind at all. If I'm crazy. Well, like Chase, you said Doug Jones is part of the cast in season four. So I, maybe I could be wrong.
0: Well, the, the, um, yeah, they, they started filming in November. So at the time of this recording about a month, almost two months ago, um, they started, they started like, principal photography on season four of Star Trek Discovery and I don't I'm not even I'm not going to read the cast of like who's part of that because I know like that might be verging on spoiler territory for some and I don't want to do that if you want to look up who's part of the main cast for season four go for it but I will not read it Um, but yeah like they highlighted that that little that little sound clip right that that um, happened at the end of part two of Terra Firma where they're standing right outside Guardian Forever, the Stargate, and they're saying their bit like you're not, you know, there's no, there's more than one captain, you know, you have it within you and you know, you have greatness within you and stuff. So, I mean, it might I mean, I think the only I think maybe the only way that I'm going to be more okay with Burnham being a captain, and I'll just say this, is if she gets her own ship and Saru is still captain like just do like just not always around just kind of like bebop in between the two but like her being in command of the discovery mm, not so much and it's I don't know but like I, I still agree like she is not captain material I'm just not seeing it I know other people that watch the show that are seeing it that are loving it I'm like good good for you 100% I'm very happy for you I just don't see it. I, 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 at this point, and unless something like dramatic happens in these last two episodes, I just, I don't see it. And it's gonna, it's gonna take a lot for me to be on the Burnham train, the Captain Burnham train, if that actually does happen.
2: <laughs> the burning train. <laughs> I don't want to get on the burning train. <laughs> Is that burnham, the name of the ship? The, bur- the burning train. That'd the be you- a great. That'd be a great ship name. <laughs>
0: the u.s.s oh god here comes that burning
2: train again (laughs) i'm just curious david what do you think about this whole idea so the the decision of saru to stay on the planet first of all You know, I would ask a similar, I would ask a question. If you're a captain of a ship, would you ever just leave your ship? I mean, like, leave it, leave it. The answer, and I'll answer for you guys this time. (laughs) It's rhetorical this time. I mean, the answer's got to be no, because your responsibility, it it goes back to that, you know, the whole... um, needs of the many outweigh the needs of few. blah 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 but the whole thing is you're dealing with one kelpian now granted we have an x-men level kelpian here okay and we have no professor x to save the day and like bring him to a special school so they can learn his shout ability in a safe way and like help defeat magneto in next week's episode but my thing is is in this universe a captain has a responsibility to the entire crew and right now you have to make a command decision you have to stick to it you have to say Michael stay with this stay with this person here obviously you know Saru had a connection but so did she kind of in a way Uh, no yes I am totally a robot here let's play a game How do you feel? (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, though, it's just one kind of poor decision after another. And I hate to say it, but like you have you have over and over again talked about your sort of mistrust of Michael. And now you're going to say. I trust you completely go help the ship. Whatever's happening up there, you can, you can deal with it. Like we have so many snap snap decision or, or snap writing decisions that just bounce away history. We already know. And, and that it's weird. But as far as going into like the future, <sighs> I had said previously that the setup would be to make Michael first officer again, but obviously we, I think we're, I think we have bigger, bigger plans. So this show is called discovery. So the ship, main ship would have to be discovery. We would assume not HMS transformer, you know, robot in disguise ship.
0: Starfleet rolled out.
2: I also said HMS. That's that's a completely different fandom that I... I'm sorry, I've been rereading my other books. So anyway... You um, read? I do read. Well, done. that's amazing. I already said I was an idiot earlier, but mm. I do read. I'm a reading idiot. Um, but no, I, I... If you if you do the two ships passing in the night sort of allegory where, like, Saru gets another ship... I just don't... I, I think it's dumb. So... I, there, there's just been a mess of in my opinion bad decisions and writing that led up that should have led up to just let Saru be a good captain let Michael be his good first officer let mm-hmm. Tilly just learn the ropes and be the Wesley Crusher of the show just let these things happen organically but I feel like we're forcing so much and then as we've kept saying keep in mind who's the who's the main character here Who, who's top of the call sheet so I don't know I I don't I loved season 2 so much I really did I loved season 2 I thought it was cool it kind of made me have hope for a Star Wars show again or a Star Wars show Star Trek show again (laughs) reel that one back in but it it made me have some hope for it again and it's like we're just being pulled in so many different directions I just don't I just don't understand anymore yeah okay but I what? would like Saru if he would just, you know, just be the captain, man. Cause I think it, I think it's an interesting character. Just be a captain. Just just be. Mm-hmm.
0: Are we ready to, to move into the whatchamacallit now?
1: Yeah, let's <laughs> let's do this. we run a little long here.
0: So uh, we're at the point in the show. Why'd you do that, Eric? Why are you clapping?
1: You always tell me to do that when we start and stop.
0: Well, we didn't stop.
1: Okay. Excuse <laughs> me. I'm trying to be helpful.
0: How dare you be helpful? Man, what are, what are you trying to be, like a first officer or something?
1: Well, I mean, we need a good one here, don't we? Dad coming man.
0: All right. Well. <laughs> anyway, we're at the point in the show where we start our assessment of this particular episode. And um, uh, first up is the Delta. And the Delta, of course, is... Uh, where we, we look at the different divisions within, um, within Starfleet. We look at command, we look at science, and we look at um, operations engineering, and we kind of see uh, if we're hitting on each of those or at all. So um, just since we've talked this episode to death, we're just going to kind of do a quick assessment on um, if we can say, yeah, these shown through or not. So uh, with that, Eric, what do you think?
1: Uh, The leadership delta, command delta, um, no. Like, Seru has made poor decisions again and again. I think Admiral Vance makes a very poor decision as well. And then I think you definitely see the inexperience of Tilly come through, which which makes sense. So I'm going to give a no to the command, leadership delta, definitely. Um, The science stuff, I I think I'm going to give the science uh, a good positive not for anybody on the discovery or our main crew, but for Dr. Isa and being able to set up this this hologram learning system, like that was able to keep this person alive for 120 years. Yes, we see that it's it's being um, the radiation is affecting it and it's kind of broken, but it's a pretty impressive feat of science and engineering. Sure. Um, operations wise. Uh, I feel like this ship could be better run the discovery um, and I'm, I'm not seeing anything in that regard so I'll definitely for science and no for the other two.
0: okay David, what are your thoughts man?
2: Um, let's see so command command you know I would almost give it maybe like an eighth of a delta. Can we go fractionally?
0: I mean, we've done American frac- we've
2: fractions, done- by the way. Not not you crazy, other, <laughs> every other portion of the world that uses that metric system. We got to use that standard system. So, about an eighth of an inch of delta. Uh, because I, I mean, a, a, again, like Tilly displayed a little tiny bit of understanding just at the very beginning of our of our sort of trek here but obviously it brings down so much with, with Saru not going back to his ship, Um, you know, Vance. Okay. I I thought that was such a, a flitting moment, but you know, I, I I get why Eric brought it up, but then, you know, kind of subsequently the later half of the show just really didn't display a ton to me. So about, about an eighth, eighth of an inch there. Uh, science, um, Yeah, I mean, I agree that this whole holodeck environment thing is really, really quite neat. Um, And I mean, they did in a very offhand sort of manner try and explain why Super Shouty Boy, I'm gonna come up with an X-Men name for him next week. Um, You know, Sir Screams a lot. I don't know, I can't think of it offhand. But anyway, you know, how he caused the burn but it's just such it feels like such a throwaway it kind of vexes me a bit so i mean i would probably give a science delta there i think there's enough that that you can kind of command that okay as far as operations go um again what i brought up was so annoying to me that no one during a boarding operation from another ship felt the need to actually follow any sort of standard procedure sort of felt odd to me. So just operationally, this ship doesn't operate. It doesn't operate like a like a an actual Starfleet ship. So I can't really give it an, a, like a Starfleet centric operational delta but I guess I could give it like you know like in Mario Party where you have like a dark star, I could give it like a dark delta because that's exactly the way this ship is normally ran. So <laughs> by operational standards of discovery, they get like a dark delta.
0: <laughs> wow. By the way, I think the the mutant name that you're looking for for the Kelpian kid is Banshee. From no, 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 no. That's I don't want person, I don't want to
2: though. recycle. He he's got to have his own name, man. He's okay. got to have a cool name. Loudmouth. Cool original name. I'll <laughs> think about <loud> it. Mouth. <laughs> 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 uh, well, you,
0: you got you got a week, okay? Because we're probably going to see the kid again. So you got a week to come up with a cool X Men name. So there you go.
2: Um, That's always fun. <laughs> homework. <laughs> homework on the podcast.
0: Um, yeah, command. It's it's really lacking. It's really it's really lacking. Uh, with with that particular one and you know with the with the, the science one you know I think we're all in agreement with that but I think it's also an engineering marvel too I mean like yeah operations and engineering they essentially share the same thing um, in terms of like the delta right but I, I mean I gotta give some credit for like the engineering behind it too I mean like I mean, we know how... I mean, we have... Anyone that's been around for a while knows how, how holograms and holodecks and stuff work. And that is both science and engineering. So, I mean, I got to give it to both of them. But, like, logistically and operationally, like, with how the ship is running, why weren't guns at the ready? I mean, we, we've we split up, what, tactical officer and chief of security, right, in in this show? So, like, had we had the counterpart maybe we wouldn't have been in this situation that we're in presently had Nan not left, basically. So um, I think we're all in agreement that science is shi- shining through, which is probably a good thing since Discovery is a science vessel. That's probably a good thing. Um, but at the same time, I'm giving credit where credit's due in terms of engineering based on you know the Kelpian ship and just engineering all that crap to last for not just a year, but 125 years some odd months, weeks, hours, and days. I mean, that's, that's just crazy to me. That, that's, uh, they did a really good job with that. Um, now, let's, let's move into the actual numerical, uh, subjective rating experience that we do. Um, so now, um, for anyone that's been listening, you know what this is all about. If this is your first time listening, uh, we go on a scale of 1 to 10. One, uh, we rate the episode uh, based on you know, what we've already talked about and just anything in between, really. And uh, we rate it between 1 and 10, 1 being a dumpster fire, 10 being absolutely amazing, and everything in between. So uh, we're going to go in reverse order this time. So, David, uh, what are your thoughts on how you would rate this episode?
2: Um, well, I think that, funny enough, I actually wound up liking it slightly more than what I did initially just because I kind of in my own head reasoned out that they actually put some realism in the episode which was kind of, I mean, not very smart <laughs> from a Starfleet level, but you know, re- uh, just realistic. Um, it's a setup episode. It's a setup episode for other things and uh you know we've left a lot of things so this i mean in so much of you know like if this were next gen this would have been your season finale of a season and then you had your wrap up in the next season um so it seems like we're gonna wrap all this up in a nice little bow potentially or maybe not i don't know um but i do feel a little insulted as well you know this kid screamy kid I'll figure out a better name next week X-Men for life um but yeah I mean it seemed insulting to me that this was the cause of the burn that just basically destroyed and destabilized everything in this universe and gave rise to the Orion crime syndicate being like a major power again um yeah it seems a little insulting Not because my theories are wrong. I'm not salty about that at all. I've never been wrong on a theory. Uh, Snoke. Anyway, that's a completely different topic. But I think there was a lot of beauty in the the way the episode was given to us. MC Escher Lovecraft Land was really, really cool. I I actually like the concept of it. And kind of the realism of, of a child's growing up in this, and the reaction, and, and the, the lore, you know, putting in this, this Kelpian lore, that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, it, it's it's, a, it's an okay episode for a setup, and like I said, I wound up liking it a little bit more, but I do feel a little slapped in the face, so... I don't really... It's actually a lot harder for me to rate this now because, again, I feel better about it now talking to you guys, and then I also feel like I was slapped in the face. <laughs> feel like I need to slap somebody. Hey, guys, you want to come to Ohio real quick? I got a white glove over here. Just, just let me... Anyway.
0: Just give me, like, a day. <laughs>
2: I'll
1: come pick you up, Chase. I'm on my way.
0: Thanks, buddy. <laughs> I feel
2: insulted. I need an explanation. Oh man. So anyway, no, I, I would probably um, God this this is this is like really tough for me to give it a numeric rating because I was gonna go so much lower, but I, I feel like I'm I feel like I'm settling on like a like a six point four.
0: Okay.
2: I'm gonna go six point four. Okay.
0: And and I'll just go ahead and get mine out of the way. Um, so for me. I, I enjoyed this episode. I mean, we'd kind of done like a little bit of like a, a, our thumb rating system, our, our unofficial one, pre-show, and we didn't say numbers or anything like that. We just kind of wiggled our thumbs, um, or at least myself and Eric did. David didn't want to play along. It's fine. No. It's fine. But for me, um, I really, I really liked how things looked on the hollow ship. Um, for the most part, I enjoyed what what i saw and like what was kind of going down it was kind of like meh at times but I think the stuff that really brought it down was like the predictability of the tilly stuff um and just the ship being taken which we've seen ships being taken before so that's no surprise it happens in Star trek um not often but it happens and for me i'm kind of camped out around like 6 6.7 with this episode um I it, it is a setup episode let's just be honest I mean like if the last few seconds of the show don't scream setup episode I don't know what will um, but like the fact that we we have unless unless of course there's more information we have two episodes left to really determine is this kid really the source of the burn or is there something more to it? You know, than just him having like a scream fest, temper tantrum kind of thing. So, but I, but I'm more okay with this episode than I had the last what three or four really. So that's why I'm I'm gonna just stick with a six point six five, just to be between that six and that seven. So I, I'm giving us a six point six five for this week's episode. Eric, what do you got, man?
1: Well, I'm gonna be brief because I think a lot of my sentiments will echo both of yours. Um, My immediate reaction when I watched this episode was I enjoyed it immensely more than the last five episodes. I thought it was a a dramatic improvement over those Um, and and David brought up Snoke um, but I'll just say I kind of felt the same way about this episode as I did about that movie that middle movie there is like the storyline I felt wasn't that great and, and was maybe a little insulting at points but it looked amazing and, and I, I think this episode I, I, I enjoyed all of the visuals of it and and that's one thing that you know plays a part into my rating is this episode it, it the, they spared no expense in the the CGI and set departments um, but yeah it's 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 interesting that this episode here does not end on to be continued where like this felt much more like a part one of a two-part episode where it has like, the last terra firma didn't really feel like a two-part episode like at the end of part one that just felt like it could have been a commercial break and we could have come back you know but this this feels like i should have seen to be continued and and this was Mm a season finale into the next season's episode as david said absolutely felt that um and so you know there's good stuff i enjoyed it i was able to watch this episode second time whereas the last couple episodes i wasn't able to watch twice because like they were that bad for me, so I, I'm I'm right there with the both of you. Um, like six point five in that same range. I think we're all in in a, in a pretty solid agreement on that. Uh, it was it was fine. It's it's not something that's great. It's not terrible. Um, mm-hmm. it seems like they have a lot to do in two episodes to wrap this up. They have to like defeat the the old the old Emerald Chain. We have to figure out if this is really the cause of the burn. Are we gonna be able to? undo it it seems unlikely i didn't think we've all been thinking that maybe they'll they could undo the burn somehow with with time stuff and i'm still thinking about that kenneth mitchell tanavik time klingon time lord crystal guy um that supposedly was going to show up somewhere and and if if that happens at this point that'll be way too much stuff going on in just two episodes but like right i guess i guess I'm disappointed with with this cause of the burn. I wanted something different. I mean, but it is what it is. And uh, I still want to know if this is all it is. And I'm still interested in seeing, you know, how this plays out.
0: Yeah. Cool. And I mean, we saw this last week that they changed the name like that. We went from the Citadel to Sakal like real quick. And for all we know, these other ones could these other names could just be red herrings, you know? Like it could be Sukal Part Two and Sukal Part Three for all we know. Um,
1: I, I think the episode title outside for the season finale does make sense with coming from this episode.
0: So maybe it is Sukal Part Three. <laughs> I don't know, um, but I mean, we, I, I just I hope they don't do a um, an uh, what was that an X-Files like a reboot um, X-Files kind of vibe you know where they said um, what was the episode um, name?" every it was season like,
1: the X-Files get shut down at the end
0: well not that <laughs> but like you know in the, the revival that they did a couple of years back they did um, I think My Pain or My Sacrifice and then like part one oh, then like yeah, the last my episode My Struggle Part my 1 Struggle Part 2 Thank you.
1: and then like the season finale was part 3 and then like the next season, they did My Struggle Part Four.
0: Yeah, yeah. I just hope they don't do that. Like with That Hope Is You Part One, and then like, you know, That Hope Is You Part Two is like, I don't know, the season four premiere. Yeah, yeah, or something like that. But anyways, um, I just read that. See, I think season four and five are both ordered, but I think, um, and I think four and five have been, um, told or they're allegedly being. Filmed back to back, so maybe we'll be getting four and five in quicker succession than we did uh, with season three. And season three, like, makes sense. I mean, COVID, for crying out loud, delayed a lot of things for a lot of people. So I mean, that's that's a pass as far as I'm concerned. But anyway,s yeah, we got, I got two episodes left, and I'm not even gonna say the name because I don't want to be on the record as saying the wrong name between now and the next time we record. So we'll it's be back.
1: Directed by Jonathan Frakes, though. It'll that's be a, Fra-
0: a Frakes episode. Frakes episode um so anyways we'll be back for episode 11 next week um on the podcast but what y'all think episode about 12 next week 12 close enough it's the same thing we'll be back for episode 12 next week I can't count same I'm not thing th- you know whatever I'm not a mathematician <laughs> I don't know numbers it's fine we'll be back for episode 12 next week um here on the podcast uh did y'all listening did y'all agree with our delta assessment did y'all um, are y'all in the same ballpark as us with, um, our numerical rating of this? what y'all think? Did you like it? Did you love it? Um, do you not really? I don't know. Um, let us know. Uh, you can, you know, interact with us, um, here on the show, uh, by checking out our website, trtvpod.com. Uh, you can also, uh, find us on all the socials, um, at trtvpod, at trtvpod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And, uh, Anyways, if you do want to get in contact with us, you can do that by um, entering accordance to trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also send us a voice-only transmission to 817-752-4757. You can also um, uh, remember that it needs to be three minutes or less. We love listening to messages, but I I don't have time crystals to listen indefinitely. So, I mean, just keep that in mind. Um, And if you do want to write us or mail us something like... Pills to prevent radiation. That's cool. Or, you know, a command training manual. Check, check with local and state laws on that before you send anything in the mail. That's true. No sabers. Please don't send me a saber. That'd be kind of dangerous. And You might get in trouble with Homeland Security here in the States. Anyway, if you do want to send us something like a letter, that's fine. You can send it to the Lone Star Station by uh, mailing it to P.O. Box 2455 Azel, Texas 76098. By the way... Before we do sign off, if you do want some sweet merch, uh, we have merch um, through Teespring, and we have links on our um, on our Facebook group, and we also have links on our YouTube videos and elsewhere. Um, and there's a couple different designs that y'all can check out, um, so you can sor- support the show by doing that. So, um, and if you do like what you're hearing, make sure you leave a review, leave a comment. Uh, on wherever the heck you listen, whether that's iTunes, Podbean, uh, I don't think you can do it on Spotify, but you get the idea. Leave us a review, leave us a comment. That would really help us out. Um, and anyways, now that we have all that out of the way, as we leave here today, may you remember to always boldly go and make it so.